Adventures with My 40s. I'm Courtney Henning Novak, a 42-year-old woman doing my best to thrive during this decade of life. You can find the show notes at CourtneyHenningNovak.com. And here's the show. Hello, adventurers. This is episode 21, and I'm recording this on Thursday, February 18th, 2021. And man, it's been a while, a long time, no podcast. Because 2021 has been doing its damnedest to kick my ass. And sometimes succeeding, sometimes not. We've, um, we, Pippa is at her pod today. This is her first week back at pod since before Thanksgiving. We started pod, I, I forget if we managed to meet in August. And, you know, we were meeting September, except there were wildfires. And then so October, November, pod was just sort of, it was the foundation of our well-being, both mine and Pippa's. And then over Thanksgiving break, a parent of someone in Julian's class, we don't know who, tested positive for COVID. So Julian's class was put on hiatus for the rest of the school year. And I had I took Pippa out of her pod for the rest of the school year just to make sure we didn't expose anyone. And so pod just didn't meet. It's three kids. And then when school restarted in January, we always meet at one house because both parents work and they have a great setup for like a place where the kids can meet with a lot of airflow. And they have a babysitter who comes and supervises the kids. And because they both work, it would be hard for them to bring their son to one to like my house or the other house. So we all just meet at that one house. But they weren't comfortable hosting pod in January because, um, you know, the numbers were surging and lots of things going on in la la land here and you know fully respect that so we were it was just me and pippa and then nathan's still working from home and we were her social life and she is an extrovert and needs other kids but we did have her doing tennis (laughs) she she was doing this afternoon camp all last fall that would meet a few afternoons a week and she was with other kids and there were masks and social distancing and activities and it was totally her jam and she just loved it and it was like so great for her spirits but she didn't want to, she wanted to do tennis and I felt like it was too much to add tennis in to when she was already doing three days a week at camp and she agreed and she and her brother wanted to do soccer so she was like no no, no I want I'm like I've done it enough I want to take a break she is definitely been that way she just loves to try different things like um last summer she wanted to go she always wants to do different camps like this has been for a couple of years now since that she started going to camp other than at preschool she's like she doesn't want to go to one camp for the whole summer she wants to try as many camps as possible she she just loves to experience the world so i support this got her signed up for tennis i didn't expect us to lose pod but we were doing our best and then she broke her nose. <laughs> that was fun towards the end of January. She, we were going to this drive-through dinosaur event that was in Pasadena and the kids were excited and she ran into the bathroom as we were getting ready to leave and her brother was in there and they collided and she tripped or she tripped over his foot. I wasn't there to see it. I heard the sound of her crashing into the toilet and I heard the screams and I knew immediately she was legit hurt, you know, cause kids will scream and there's like fake screams. And there's angry screams, and there's frustrated screams, and there's trying to get your attention screams, and then there's, I just broke my nose screams, and that it was of that caliber. <laughs> so she can't do tennis, 
and she wasn't doing pod, so she and she was about to start soccer when she hurt her nose, and so now her brother's been doing soccer and she couldn't do soccer, and so this poor kid was just sorry shifting in my chair. This poor kid was just had nothing and. I joked at first, like, well, you know, if you're going to break your nose, you might as well do it in a pandemic because she can't go to school anyway. And I wouldn't have, I would have been nervous with her going to school about her getting it bumped again. And all these places are closed that we would be going to this time of year, like, you know, the big, cool indoor playgrounds. So, hey, why not break it now? And now I realize it was actually like the worst possible timing. She didn't have her pod and... She, she, she had quit camp and camp was full. I checked and I couldn't get her back in. And so her reliable joys had been riding her bike, roller skating. She got a skateboard from Santa. Uh, she just loves doing those things. And she would do them during like any little breaks during distance learning and in the afternoon. And that was all gone. Like she couldn't do any of that. So like things were looking dark in early February and I was like casting around like what can I possibly like do for this kid and suddenly it occurred to me that I had heard from her art classes that she took um, and I'd heard from them in the fall but she was already doing arboretum camp so I called to see if they were still doing art classes which they call art camps because you're not allowed to have classes but you're allowed to have camps and they had spaces and so now she goes once a week and that brought her such immediate joy it was just I was so grateful we were able to do that and then the place where she was doing um, nature camp in the fall said to have an email that they had some available slots for February. And I just hopped on and signed her up immediately. And so she's, this has been her first week of camp and pod started back again. So we made it, we made it through the darkness. Last week, I actually had one of the boys from pod over two days um, because they were just breaking. And if our main pod wasn't meeting, Nathan called it bipod instead of tripod. So, We've got Pippa back into a good um, emotional headspace. And Julian, of course, decided to fall and split his chin a few days ago and had to go to urgent care right before bedtime. And now he has five stitches in his chin, but that's actually good timing because Pippa can't go to the playground and now he can't go to the playground either. So I'm no longer depriving him of something because of his sister getting hurt. They are in this together. Uh, Pippa's got to think about three more weeks of having to be like super careful with the nose and it's probably healed at this point kids heal really fast like an adult would take like the full six weeks to heal but like a kid's more like three weeks but you still have to be like really careful about it for six weeks so she can't do soccer or tennis but she's got camp and she's got art and she's got pods so we're doing okay and now that she's actually at pod I can sometimes come home like I did right now and maybe do a podcast episode so it's not amazing. It's I've been able to get time for writing and it's been a lot of like um but there's a lot of interruptions when she was home for distance learning. It's it's been tough on all of us. Like it's just been a draining experience. Um now there's rumblings of possible hybrid school, like Pasadena's planning to have K through second grade go back first. Actually TK transitional kindergarten through second grade, but Julian's at his own preschool, so he's set. And were you know thick fingers across we've been given the clearance by the health department and parents are just like begging the schools to reopen and like theoretically the union has for the teachers has already agreed to the terms to going back but it sounds like they're 
being difficult. So who knows? There's a school board meeting coming up. Teachers are in the process of getting vaccinated here in Pasadena. So I'm very, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm trying to, like I talked about in that last episode, I'm trying to occupy the space between hope and despair. Because if I spend too much energy hoping for Pip to go back, and then she doesn't go back, I'm just really, like, disappointed again. So what will be, will be. Like, right now what we've got, pod and camp for a month and art is, is working. And we'll get her back into soccer and tennis next month. So I know what I have to do for Pippa is to keep her involved and with other kids and doing activities. She loves activities. And I can I can do that with what we've got. But wow, this it's just been it's been almost a year since school's closed without a single day for Pippa and we are really really ready. So fingers crossed. Okay, so enough of that update, but you know, when you're gone for 6 or so weeks from podcasting, there, you know, we an 8 minute update is what you can expect. Also, I can seasons like I'm as incoherent as ever. I didn't sleep great last night. I um you know, I had insomnia years ago when I had postpartum depression and I've always had a head game of when like I'm taking Julian to the zoo today and then I go to bed the night before I'm going to the zoo and I'm like, "Oh my god, but what if tonight's the night I don't sleep well? What if it's tonight?" And of course, once I've activated that head game, then that's where I go. And I got enough sleep to be like safe to drive and go to the zoo and I you know had the energy for it but I know that like I got like an hour less than ideal because I was up in the middle of the night after you know got to pee and then my brain's like what if I don't go back to sleep what if I don't oh my god I'm gonna break his heart he really wants to go to the zoo oh my god maybe Nathan can go but what if Nathan has like a work call oh like that's welcome to my head but it's good to be here I want to talk about feelings today to start and I've been meaning to do an episode about feelings for like pretty much since I started this podcast, but it's felt awkward and scary. And I always came up with another episode that I had to do first, but I'm going to rip off the bandaid now and dive in. My history with feelings is for most of my life, I did my best to suppress any feelings that felt difficult or uncomfortable. So anything like sadness or anger or loneliness, I tried to just bury those feelings. And I, I I did it a lot with emotional eating. Ice cream was a big part of my college emotional strategy. And it wasn't something that I entered into consciously. It wasn't like I said, hey, I don't like these feelings. I'm going to suppress them and I'm going to eat a lot of food to keep my feelings in check. It's just what I started doing and um, I think it's pretty common in our society. It's not like there's books about emotional eating. It's not like I'm like the first person to have invented this. I saw feelings as a sign of weakness. Um, the big example I always think of is when I was a freshman in college in January, my cousin Kim died very unexpectedly and um it like I remember here at my parents calling me and being in my dorm room and my roommate answering and giving me the phone and hearing the news and immediately crying and like being hit with like shock and horror and grief and being like very upset and crying that day as you know my parents were like making a reservation for me to fly home for the funeral but also feeling like 
like I couldn't cry in public. Like I had to get my shit together. I had to um, calm down. I couldn't be like on the airplane bawling and feeling like I couldn't even cry in front of um, like other people at college. Um, we had like a um, advisor who was like a sophomore who lived on the floor for freshmen. And, you know, she came, you know, I, I remember going to her and, and being upset and saying like, oh, I have a midterm in this class and, you know, I'm going to be missing these classes. And, you know, she was like saying she'd help like email the professors. But I remember feeling like I was a burden by like being upset and like adding something to her day. And like, cause she had her own classes and her own life. And, um, you know, I don't, I, I, I can't remember it very well. It's very blurry and hazy, but you know, I think there's like a, a tendency in the culture to like calm, you know, to tell people who are upset, like, it's okay. Like we don't send the message, like go ahead and cry. The message is often like, calm down. You're going to be fine. Um, and I don't remember anyone specifically doing that, but it's it's definitely something you see on TV and in movies. And, uh, like, the books I read. Like, I've been reading Harry Potter to Pippa. We're on book seven. And I keep noticing, like, little moments, like, when Harry feels like he's going to cry or when his best friend Ron is, like, emotional, he always looks away. You know, like oh, he notices Dumbledore having a moment of emotion and he's embarrassed, so he looks away for Dumbledore. So it's like right there in that like book I'm reading to her and I want to tell her like, um, maybe I should start stopping at those. She's so into the book that she doesn't want me to stop and like start lecturing her. But I want to say to her, I'm like, you know, it's okay for Harry Potter to cry if he's upset about something. It's okay if Ron's emotional and wants to cry. And I'm sure like that's the book that's like coming like, most obvious to me because I've been reading it to Pippa but I think it's in lots of books and if, if you pay attention you'll notice that like it's often people don't just say like I want to sit with these like with your shitty feelings for a long time though it's like you know, people ask how are you doing and they expect you to say fine like I ran into someone around the time that my cousin Kim died she was sick over Christmas break she died from um she was taking fen-fen before the FDA took it off the market. And she'd gotten sick and was hospitalized after Christmas. So there was like this scary week. And then the doctors, you know, um, what are they, I'm blanking on the word. They, they, they let her go. There's, there's a fancy word for that. Insert the fancy word. And they discharged her. There we go. And she was discharged and it seemed like everything was going to be fine. And I remember getting back to campus in January and going to the bookstore where you would get the textbooks for the next math for your next quarter of classes and running into someone who I had met in the fall we both volunteered helped out all of like the stage crew stuff for this um, play and he just said hey how are you how was your break and I said something along the lines of oh it was actually really tough my cousin was really sick she was in the hospital but she seems to be doing better now and he just gave me this like snarky look and said geez like what's wrong with just saying fine and and then like off he went and and that was just like a really jerk stupid thing from an 18 year old boy not a man yet and I I look back and I I'm like actually I'm a little angry at him right now I, I guess I've never allowed myself to feel that anger but you know, it was it was it was on him it wasn't like I hadn't done anything wrong in just 
giving it, it wasn't like I, 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 I kept him there for like two hours it was like that three sec three sentences of yeah I had actually a tough break because we thought my cousin was going to die and that's a very legit thing to say when someone's like sees you after three weeks and says how was your break but he ridiculed me for it and then shortly after my cousin died and I internalized this message of um it's funny how you can have these moments that seem so insignificant at the time like like a one minute encounter with someone who I didn't talk to again after that ever and he like that one minute encounter like as I talk it out I'm like god that had a real impact on me how these one these moments that seem so insignificant and trivial can are actually like can cause such a deep impact because it sort of crystallized for me some message I had gotten from like society and and I know I'm not alone in this I, I'll talk about it in a minute this book I've been I, I just finished reading called Permission to Feel by Mark Brackett and I discovered the book because he was on an episode of Brene Brown's podcast Unlocking Us and I think I heard it in the summer and I enjoyed his podcast episode so I listened to the audiobook and it was really helpful but he talked at great length about how we live in a culture that just does not know how to deal with emotions. So I don't want to just blame this one random guy or really anyone because I think it's just a very systematic cultural thing. Okay, so that was my history with feelings. And looking back, I also, I, I ignored my feelings so much that sometimes they would just end up exploding like a volcano. Like the really big dramatic example was I worked at, I was a lawyer and I was at this one firm for... Um, a big law firm for about four years and towards and it was crushing to my soul it was not the work I was called to do I am meant to be a writer like a creative writer not a lawyer and I hated it it was making me miserable and all that misery just came exploding out one day and I was like it really felt like what you would call a nervous breakdown and I was about to quit and the partner I did a lot of work with convinced me she's like no why don't you go take some time off <laughs> And like, I'll have it, make sure it doesn't count as your vacation time. And so I ended up taking two weeks off and figured out like, I'm leaving big law and I got a law job with a smaller law firm. And then a year after that, I quit law firm life. And then when I was pregnant with Pippa, I quit the law forever. But it was really like this volcanic explosion, like years of denying the fact, like I am not meant to be a lawyer. I am ignoring my inner call to be a writer and to be a creative and it just came out like a volcano so I consider myself a feelings amateur but that's okay because according to Mark Brackett who runs he runs some institute at Yale that like studies feelings and emotions according to him most people are so I know I'm in good company and it's a little daunting to live in to want to get, I want to get in touch with my feelings. I want to build like a really good relationship with my feelings. I want to become like a feelings master. Uh, he calls it, Mark Brackett calls it a feelings scientist, which I like. I'd like to be a feelings scientist. And But it is a little daunting to live in a society that doesn't value that. So it's like I'm doing work to that goes against the grain. But that also makes it exciting and pioneering and you know, I, we also live, there is some gardener a couple blocks away with a really loud, like, leaf blower, so I apologize if you hear that. You probably don't, but uh, then I apologize for talking about it. 
where was I? Oh my gosh. Like, we, like, it's, it's intimidating, but it is, like, pioneering work, which makes it exciting, and I've done this work before, because when I had postpartum depression, it was, like, a lot of anxiety came out, and I've been an anxious person, like, most of my life, and I just was a highly functional anxious person, and so I worked with a psychologist, and he got me to a place where I was, I felt like I was as good as I was before I had postpartum depression, but I saw that I was still anxious, just highly functional with the anxiety. And we agreed that I would, I wanted to keep working and get like, become like to diminish my anxiety. And I feel like I have done that. And yet we do live in a world where more often than not, people are anxious. Uh, I don't, people don't walk around with it like, you know, tattooed on their forehead or on their face mask, I guess. <laughs> now but like we do live like in an anxious society and you know that's a topic for another episode so but I've done that work I have greatly I've managed to really diminish my anxiety and become good at seeing when I'm anxious and I have a great toolkit for managing my anxiety which that toolkit includes Zoloft and that tool is being used in all its glory during the pandemic because if there's a time to be anxious it's the pandemic so I, it, it was, I guess, more pioneering work to get past my anxiety. And so I wanted to like have used that experience to encourage me to do this work with feelings. And I know I can do this because of this lovely thing called neuroplasticity. Um, I love neuroplasticity. It's the idea that our brains are constantly, that they're able to change, that they're made to change, that our the, the, the more you learn things and get out of your comfort zone, the more you increase your brain's flexibility and neuroplasticity. I just love it. So I'm going to be harnessing those superpowers of neuroplasticity to become a feelings guru. One thing I've been using, I know I've talked about this at times in, in past episodes, is the Noom app. I've been using that on and off for almost a year now. I started it last February or towards the end of February right like a few weeks before the first lockdowns here and I used it until August and then I was overwhelmed by distance learning and I decided to take a break for it but I went back I want to say in October or maybe I think I went back before Halloween and I was like I just want to like break even like not be gaining weight during the holidays which I which I accomplished and the new map covers a lot of different aspects of the psychology of eating and healthy living and one big thing they cover is feelings and but I wanted to do even more work so I read The Permission to Feel by Mark Brackett and I have some other books on my want to read list and that I will get to sooner than later and I'll keep you updated on those if um, I read anything that's good but for right now the Calm app and Permission to Feel have given me a good start on working with my feelings and following my curiosity in this area. Some things I have learned so far about my feelings is they are not automatically bad or good. We have a tendency to just label things in life and nothing really is automatically bad or good. It's just our mindset that determines whether it is bad or good. And feelings are one of those things that we just label the shit out of them. And we automatically categorize feelings like sadness and anger as bad or negative or challenging. But... I think I've learned and I believe this that feelings are messengers and calls to action 
And if you deny the feeling, you're also denying the message and the opportunity to learn something valuable about yourself and the world and the way you're living. And like, like a feeling of happiness will tell you when you're doing something good. You're doing something that benefits you. Like if you're at the park and you're meeting up with some friends, social distancing, of course, with face masks these days, and you're at, so you're outside and your kids are having fun and you're getting to talk to some adult friends and you feel, and I feel happy. That's my body's way of telling me, this is good. Do this more often. Like do this. This is good. We like this. And if I don't, so I should also listen to my good feelings because they're, they're telling me like what works and what doesn't. And it's, you know, I, I think of nature as really important to my mental health. And yeah, whenever I'm out in nature, I really do feel a lot better. And tuning into those good feelings gives me a good guidepost. Like, okay, get out in nature. Um, another, just a tidbit I've learned this week, I'm currently listening to the audiobook for Dare to Lead by Brene Brown. And she quotes a neuroscientist who says that we have this tendency to think of humans as thinking machines, but we are not thinking machines. We are feelings machines that think. It's a little interesting food for thought there that feelings are fundamental to the human experience. And Mark Brackett's book is great because he goes into like, like he goes back to like ancient philosophers and how they were trying to like, like it is human. It's in humanity's history to deny feelings. It's not like, this, you know, don't go blaming your parents. It's not like, oh, my parents weren't in touch with their feelings, so I'm not. It's like, no, 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 no. Like, this is all, like, very new. Like, it wasn't until the 90s that even the idea of emotional intelligence was put out into the scientific literature. So, you know, if you want to blame someone, go, go blame, like, Aristotle. It's not your parents or your grandparents' fault. It's 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 not even like don't even think like oh it's like the puritans it's you know the american society from the past couple hundred years like no it's it, it goes back like thousands of years humans we are like we're wired to feel and have and our feelings cause our thoughts it's it's in our biology but we have been suppressing the shit out of it for centuries so it's not your parents fault you can blame other shit on your parents but not this so I have found as I pay attention to my feelings and write about it in my journal and like listening to Permission to Feel, and I do listen to other podcasts that will talk about feelings from time to time, um, that my feelings alert me to my thoughts and my thoughts alert me to my beliefs. Beliefs are something that when you use the word belief, it feels like something that is set in stone and based on fact. But that's not necessarily the case. Beliefs are often very subconscious, for me at least, and have been things that I've internalized from society. And this is where it just feels even awkward to talk about this because a lot of, as I pay attention to my beliefs, I am finding a lot of beliefs that I don't want to pass on to my kids. Um, like. I understand this best with guilt. Oh my goodness. Like everyone who's a mom knows about mom guilt and having read various self-help books, they often talk about guilt as the feeling that arises when you do something wrong. 
But I look at mom guilt and it's mostly bullshit. The moms who feel guilty are often the moms who are doing the most for their kids and have little if no reason to feel guilty. And mom guilt, I think, mostly comes from this belief that we've internalized about mothers who are just these all-sacrificing, martyr-like characters who get all of their worth from their children and their identity and the, you know, it, it validates their very existence. Like I was born with this womb, so of course I am meant to be a mother and that is, that is it and that is all and that's enough. And that's like several episodes to unpack that. But when I feel the motherhood guilt, that alerts me to the fact that I still have these internalized toxic beliefs about motherhood. You know, I would say that not like it's dangerous to label a feeling as good or bad, but I am perfectly happy to label a belief. Once I find the belief and look at it, I can say like, oh, here's this belief I found that my worth depends on that, like, like a belief that I am not worthy to be an, a, a person separate from my children. Okay, I find that belief and I go, wow, that is toxic because I don't want my children to have that belief. I am just worthy because I'm human and I'm, I'm alive and I'm here and I have a you know, soul and divine call and I am worthy. And because having that sort of belief, then it's like, then it suggests that people who don't have kids aren't worthy. And it's like, no, that's like, but the belief is there. So I have to confront the belief and I say, you know, you're toxic. And, and you know, you can, it, it's, I have found that with really deeply embedded subconscious beliefs, that it's not a matter of saying once, oh, that's, I don't like that belief. Okay, I'm going to say goodbye to that belief. Like, I have to work at it. And I'm still working at most of the beliefs. And I'm still figuring out, like, it's a mix of confronting the belief and being like, no, I reject you. Get out. And even, like, doing a visualization of, like, burning the belief. Um, or, you know, whatever, like, sweeping it away. Or locking it in a chest and being like, let's throw that shit in the Mariana Trench. And then doing affirmations. I am not good at, I would like to get better at doing affirmations where you gaze into your eyes in the mirror and say, I am worthy. I am amazing. <laughs> I am not good at that. It makes me feel awkward as fuck. And, you know, I, I got to lean more into the awkwardness of life, but I'm working on it. It's a journey. So I'm happy to label beliefs as toxic and um, my feelings, I'm grateful to them. I, I, I'm working on when I get a bad feeling at, like sometimes a, there's a bad feeling and it's because of something else that needs to be changed. But sometimes, but they are an opportunity to examine my beliefs and fine tune them. Like some beliefs don't need to be like out and out rejected. And to find like, oh, here's this belief that, like it's tough to say these things out loud on like a recorded podcast episode but like I have found beliefs like I am not worthy and I am not lovable and I think I think a lot of people have these beliefs and I'm not alone and we've internalized them and they're in our subconscious and we don't pay attention to them and they're just there humming away and like like for me causing all sorts of um compulsive emotional eating and 
for other people, things like drinking or being a workaholic or having, you know, like emotional walls up, like not letting people in. Like we, I think a lot of people are suffering and carrying around these um, beliefs in their lack of worthiness. And I don't think you can just look at that belief and give it lip service and say, oh, I am worthy. And then you're done. Like it's there. You've got to work at it. We're talking about, you know, just like systematic beliefs that have been around for some for like centuries. Like as a woman, I carry around, like as a woman who grew up going to Catholic school, I've, I've grown up with the legacy of Adam and Eve, where Eve is blamed for everything. Like Eve took the apple, Eve ate the apple, Eve tempted Adam, Eve got us cast from the garden, and it's all Eve's fault that we have sinned and that we are now suffering. And like Eve is just the villain. She's blamed for everything. And I don't buy that, but I have to work at that. I have to like rewire myself to like, this is something that's been around this story. This is a biblical old Testament story that's been around for thousands of years and passed down. And, you know, from like one side of my family, I'm Jewish and the other side, I'm Christian. And that shit has just come down through just generations and generations of ancestors I'll never know but you know who were carrying that um belief that it's women's fault like one woman fucked up by eating an apple and like the apple of knowledge from the tree of knowledge like being she was curious and that is considered the sin that's a like a toxic legacy and it's not something that you can just say uh, that I can just do this podcast episode and say oh I reject that belief and now I'm done. Like, no, I'm going to have to do some work to eradicate and really get down and find, like, what other gross, squirmy beliefs I've internalized as a woman about, like, my body and my worth and my voice. Um, and I think I have to delve into my beliefs more about my feelings. Like, another episode, I'd like to talk about being a female and anger, because as women, we are considered peacemakers and we are discouraged from being angry and you there's all of these stereotypes of like you know like a a loud female boss is like a bitch whereas like you put a, a man who would say the same thing in exactly the same way is like competent so working on beliefs working on feelings working on dealing with like just all of the bullshit I have inherited from like not just our culture but from from humanity and or you know at least western civilization um and so and I don't want to go through my life blindly weighed down by these beliefs that I don't examine and so I am trying to welcome my feelings into my life because they give me an opportunity to find these beliefs and be like, whoa, whoa I do not like that. I don't agree with that. Like, let's like now consciously reverse that that thinking and reverse that belief and do it. You know, I had to when I had when I was doing work with my cognitive behavioral psychologist and doing CBT to like deal with anxiety. It was a conscious effort again and again and again when I was anxious to go through a thought process of like. You know, what's the worst thing that can happen and how likely is that and over time it became an internalized process and it diminished my anxiety and I I'm figuring out like I'm not sure exactly how to do it but I with work I know I can 
start to spot toxic beliefs and consciously say no 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 or you know figure out questions to ask myself and like reverse those beliefs and send them away um so my feelings it turns out i've been using most of my life to most of my life my uh modus operandi has been to suppress and ignore my feelings as much as possible but now i'm seeing that they are an awesome tool to fine-tune my beliefs and um work towards becoming my best self but that's going to be a long process because um excuse me as i turn the page as much as i can see that my feelings are a guide to my belief i have been suppressing my feelings for so many decades at this point that i don't even notice when i'm doing it like i could be suppressing the shit out of some feelings right now i probably am and i don't even know it the grooves like my habit of just suppressing a belief, uh, suppressing a feeling is so automatic, but I don't notice it. Like you don't notice your breathing until it's like really like ragged after running or something, or you're, you're meditating. I most of the time don't notice that I'm like, I'm like, oh, I'm bored. Let me, let me reach for this snack. But I'm starting to like, the more I pay attention, the more I can see like, oh, I'm feeling like I need to eat a piece of chocolate and I'm really just bored. Or I'm feeling lonely or I'm feeling um, like annoyed or something and I, I think the more I notice it eventually I'll be able to start disrupting those habits and I can I did it with anxiety I can do this again with my feelings I can and, I, and the more I just send out like say here like I welcome my feelings the more I will actually notice them like the more I will be like, oh, hey, there's a feeling and that's me suppressing it. And I will, like, I'm, I'm fumbling around here because I'm totally, like, I'm a novice here. i am uh, got a white belt and it is a long road to getting the black belt with my feelings. And probably, like, a lifetime's work and I don't know that I'll ever actually feel like a master of my feelings and I, I don't want to be and the master makes it sound like I'm in control and I don't necessarily want control over my feelings but I want to have I want to get to a place where I have a healthy relationship with my feelings where I allow them and I feel them but they don't but then but then they don't like well that's an episode that's that's a whole other episode talking about like how much do you feel your feelings versus like appropriate behavior in public like like allowing your sadness but not like allowing your anger but still like treating people well but that's a that's an episode maybe that's the next episode i don't know i'll write that down as an idea all right i think i have got delved into the awkward realm of feelings enough and i feel a little less awkward and i hope oh, god willing i can do an episode next week let me knock i think this is wood i always talk i i don't maybe this desk is fake wood can they make fake wood Maybe it's just laminated on the top. Does it count if you're knocking on laminated? Anyway, knock on knock on something that I will be back next week or the week after because Pippa is back in pod and God willing, but you know, God willing we'll meet again next week. I but I have learned to I, I promise very little to my kids. I promise that I will do my best and that I love them always. And that's about all I can promise these days because you, you never know when there's going to be a surge of COVID cases or your kid is going to trip and break her nose. All right. It's healing nicely. She's it, Her nose looks like her nose. 
we're, we're doing fine. She doesn't need surgery or anything. So turned out fine. All right. Um, I hope you're enjoying your adventures and I, I hope I am back here soon. Not going to make any promises because as soon as I do that, there'll be something like flooding in Los Angeles County. So no promises. Okay. Universe not bringing on your wrath, but I am hoping to be back. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Adventures with My 40s. You can reach me through my website, CourtneyHenningNovak.com, or on Instagram at Courtney.Novak. If you're enjoying the show, subscribe so you don't miss new episodes. Have a great and wonderful week.